just real quick before we get started in the message today, I just want to tell you, um, this is a great, great time to just explore ministry, um, getting more involved in ministry here at ICC. Um, you saw, you heard all the announcements earlier and you see the list, the summer card, and it's easy. Listen, when I, um, before I ever got into church leadership, I would, I would see things like that and it just feel like overwhelmed, like, oh my word, they are the busiest church ever. <laughs> what in the world is all of this stuff that they want me to do? And it's not that we really like want you to be super busy. That's not our heart. But what we're doing is just establishing, um, well, I'll just use the word that we're using for this series, establishing some rhythms of life that we really believe that, that God has appointed for you to get plugged into. You, you should be happy and, and love to get involved in serving somewhere in our community consistently. If you don't have an outlet for that, to serve somewhere consistently where when you sh- people anticipate you showing up and you know their names and their stories and you're there monthly, this is a great time, summer, great time for you to just plug in and invest and love people well and get to know them and find a, a, just a new way of life and serving the community that can carry on even beyond summer. Use your extra time for that. Use your extra time to get to know people more. Do some of these stupid things like Mama Mia. I don't even know if I can endorse that play, but, um, you know, it's just an opportunity to be together and have lunch and, and, and go come hang out and get wet with us Saturday and all those, you know, silly things. It's just designed for you to, to get to know other Christians more in the community. And I know for a lot of you, you're not from here and you may have a really small circle right now with your work group or your school group, and you need to expand that and get to know some other people. There's some cool people here, including myself. And uh, you should get to know me. I'm just kidding. I want to get to know you. Summer study. You know, it's, it's not that we necessarily, like, just enjoy being a meal planner for you. We're incentivizing you to come after work. We're, that's why we're doing the meals. It's a fun time to be together. But we're trying to make it easy for you to show up here after work or school and learn about all these different world religions. You work beside these folks. You live beside these folks. You go on mission trips. Some of you need to move in the middle of people groups of the world where these religions are prominent. It is, I can't imagine a more helpful thing for you to do on Wednesday nights, better than watching Bachelorette or whatever trash is on TV. Come here and be engaged here because these are folks who come to Christ from Hinduism or from Islam or from Mormonism and They can tell you what it's about. And they can tell you why Christ is the only way to God and how they came to Christ and how we can help people who are like their family and friends in their people group and their world religions. Does that make sense? All these things are designed for you. They're not for you to give anything to us. We are trying to give something to you, providing an outlet for you just to step into the summer with some of your extra time. So who's excited? Just Just go ahead and look at your neighbor and just say, I'm so excited about this summer at ICC. See, yeah, whatever. I just made you do that. That was kind of, that was manipulative, and I'm, I'm, I'm halfway sorry for that. Um, well, we are in in the next eight weeks, which I'm also excited about. Um, I've got a very brief time this morning because we're we're intentionally going to try to keep our Sunday morning times uh, brief, shorter than than normal, so that. Um, we can just respect your time and also provide an outlet for people who are wanting to step into church in the summer. Just provide a, a great, refreshing time on Sunday mornings. But in the next eight weeks, you know, we center our times of worship around God's word. Not what we think about God, but what God says to us about himself. Not how we think we can relate to God, but how God says to us through his word, which is true. How God says to us, here's how you can relate to me. Here's the way that I've appointed for you. Um, we center our, our worship around God's word 
and we want to be students of God's word, and I'm a, I want to be a teacher of God's word. But in the next eight weeks, I'm uber excited, we're in this series called Rhythms. And really what it is, is a practical study of Christian disciplines. Who's ever heard of, of spiritual disciplines or Christian disciplines? Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah, it, it became, uh, it, it has not, the, the study of, of Christian disciplines hasn't been around forever. Uh, probably the classic book, we, I provided two books out on the table for you to consider purchasing. If you, you're one of those that likes summer reading or likes going deeper in study, the classic book is Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. It is just wonderful. And it kind of prompted this, this focus in the Christian landscape upon Christian disciplines. And it has been a helpful thing. It's not a contrived thing. He's just putting a term, articulating something that scripture very plainly presents to us as something helpful for us to understand and to move into with our life. And so that would be a great book for you. The other one is also good out there. It's a more modern book, modern language, very gospel-centered resource. But in the next eight weeks, we're going to be focusing on this, these Christian disciplines. And this morning, what I want to do is just kind of launch that off and help you understand where all of this comes from uh, to start with. Is that cool? That's what I'm going to do this morning. And then starting next week, we're going to get into some of the disciplines in practicality. There's a lot of them. And so we're not going to be able to cover all of them, but I do want to highlight those that I think um, are best for us together. So let me pray as we begin our time together. Lord, we just thank you for this day of worship. Lord, you have told us in your word, one of just the basic commandments for us is to, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Lord, to take one day out of our week, a day that you've appointed, to just, to, to just do nothing other than to worship you, remember you, draw near to you, be with those who are also of you, and Lord, just rest. And we thank you for today. Thank you for this refreshing day in our lives. And Lord, we know that the greatest rest that we need is not just physical, but spiritual. Lord, our hearts need to find relationship with you. And Lord, we need to realize that, Lord, we are made for you and we need to be surrendered to you and to trust you. And Lord, we need to know your love. Lord, I thank you this morning that you do love us. You love us so much that you gave your one and only son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We just celebrate this morning your love, the love for us in Jesus, love that gave everything when we had nothing, Lord. We thank you this morning that you are willing and able to save us to forgive us, to give us a clean beginning, your perfect righteousness, to take away our guilt, to remove your wrath, to impart to us new life and a relationship with you forever and forever, Lord. We thank you that you're able and willing to do this because you gave your son Jesus for this, that whosoever might believe in him would be saved. So Lord, we just thank you for your love. I pray that every person here would know that you do love them today and you're inviting them nearer, nearer than ever before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, spiritual disciplines, rhythms, rhythms, um, rhythms. All of this comes from really a place of desire. Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them there really briefly. This may be a familiar psalm to you, and that's why I picked it out, because I want to speak to something that I think we as believers, if you are a person of God, and even if you are not yet, um, I believe that this resonates to your heart because it's a desire that, God put there. Psalm 42 speaks to this as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
When shall I come and appear before God? As a deer pants for the flowing streams, just like the one at Bass Pro Shop, sitting out there by the little waterfall. I'm just kidding. He's not alive. <laughs> you guys have probably figured that out. If you haven't been to Bass Pro, that's a lame joke, but you should go check it out. Um, there's a, little, there's a, a dead deer that looks, they've tried to make look alive, and he's by the waterfall. But if you've ever seen, uh, last night I got home from being out of town, and our dog's water bowl was completely empty. And Michelle's been working nights, and so I thought to myself, I have no idea when the last time this water bowl has been filled. It could have been two or three days. <laughs> Poor dog. But the dog was just sitting there by the water bowl, and I filled it up with water. And she sat there and sat there and sat there. It was like she had not had water in three days, and I actually think that maybe she hadn't. And you could take that up with me later. But um, I thought, thank you, Lord, for this illustration. Because just like Zoe, my little dog... Um, was sitting there by the water bowl just waiting, waiting for that drop of water because she was entirely thirsty and about to die. Um, just like that, God says, so, so our souls should be with God. Waiting. We just want God so much, waiting before him, longing just to taste of the Lord, to know that he is good, longing to be nourished and refreshed and replenished by his presence and by his spirit. The psalmist says, deep cries unto deep. Just like the waterfalls, deep cries unto deep. So our souls in the deepest part of our longing longs for more of God. This is the true purpose of your life. Jesus said, this is eternal life that you might know God. Not getting into heaven, The purpose for your life, the reason God shaped you in your mother's womb, brought you into existence, the reason your heart is still beating today is for this purpose, that you might know God and enjoy him forever. Just as a deer pants for the flowing water, oh, my soul pants for you, God, to know more of you. Oh, I long for you, God. Is that your heart today? Longing for more of God. Well, the study of spiritual disciplines and all of its outworkings relates to this primary desire, to know more of God. It's the whole purpose. It's the entire pursuit is that we might know more of God's presence, more of God's power, more of his grace in our life. And if you don't have a desire for God this morning, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give you that desire. And if you do have a desire, that he would grow that desire because this is the greatest joy of our lives is to know the Lord God. And not just to know him, but to be like him as the writer of 1 John in chapter 3, verse 2 says, and you see it on the screen, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. We know that the scriptures resonate with not only the desire to know more of God, but the desire to be more like God in our lives. That his presence would so fill us and satisfy our hearts that the outworkings of our lives, what manifests in our flesh. See, the way you live your life just comes from your heart. You understand that? I hope you do. Everything that happens in your life stems from where your heart is. And so if we want more of God, then what happens is our life, we should want to look more like God because when our hearts are filled with God, our lives will become more God-like in every area. 
And this is also a desire and a purpose that God has for us that in in your flesh, see, whoa, that was fun. Um, in your flesh, that you can actually become more and more and more filled with his presence. And this is not for monks in a monastery or for people who just sit around all day thinking about spiritual things. These are This is for you as you go into your office and as you take care of your kids and as you iron clothes and as you work hard and you study. This is for you that you can in your everyday life actually commune with the living God. You can have a relationship with him. You can know him more than you do right now. To move out of just the physical world, to get in touch with the spiritual realities of this life, you can explore God. You can know spiritual existence and life more. And you can become more like him in your everyday life. This is the heart of the spiritual disciplines. Now, the reality of it is that we, in our lives, really, really, really need transformation. Don't you? Anybody? just really need transformation. I'm telling you, I need transformation. We all do. The reality of our lives is that we need to be changed. Now, here's the sticking point. A lot of This is where all the other uh, religions go wrong, and a lot of people in this room today have tried and tried and tried a certain way to be changed. You hear this, I need to know more of God, and I need to be more like God, but the way you go about it is wrong. It's not the way God is appointed. Because a lot of people, most of mankind, actually tries to be changed by doing what? By exerting their willpower. By trying to work at something in order to be changed. By putting their strength to it. By trying really hard and picking up some kind of mechanics uh, to be changed. But the reality is that if you pursue that, religious activity has never changed anybody. Mechanics have never changed anybody. Exerting your own willpower may lead to temporary success, but it does not lead to real and lasting change. It just doesn't. Um, can I get a witness? Anybody? You struggle with, uh, you see, sin is so deeply ingrained. It is a deeply ingrained habit of your heart, of your heart. And the problem is not that you need to try harder on the outside, but you need a heart change. You struggle with anger, for instance, or lust, or gluttony, or pride, or you name it. What, what Name your sin. I'm not going to name it. You don't have to name it out loud. Definitely don't do that. No matter what it is, all of us probably have this witness where you, you're so frustrated with it, and then it happens again. And then what? Oh, I hate myself. Right, And you get very frustrated and you go, I'm never going to do that again. And you set your will to it, right? And you pray for it. But then what happens? Turn around and, and, and you find yourself right back there again. And usually worse than the, when you were, were the last time. And the reason is because our effort, the efforts of our flesh are never going to change our heart. Our willpower just can't do it. You can never will yourself into becoming a new man. You just can't do it. No amount of religion, no amount of anything that you do can actually bring the change that you need deep, deep, deep inside your heart because it is deep, deep, deep inside your heart that the change is needed and only one can do that change and it's God alone. Amen? It's God. It's God at work in us that can bring us 
new life. It's transformation of the heart. And that's a gift of God's grace, Ephesians 2 says. It's a gift of God's grace, both in salvation, but also in sanctification. The Lord himself says, I am the one who saves you, but I'm also the one who sanctifies you. All of it, Galatians 2 says, is a work of God's spirit. You can't complete in the flesh what God began in the spirit. All of it is a gift of God's grace, not anything that you can do for yourself. God has to do it. That work of Jesus is the work of our lives, knowing him more and being more changed into his likeness. And it's not anything that you can do. It's only what God can do. And I pray that you have a heart and a desire. Do you? Do you have a heart and a desire to see that happen in your life? Um, When I finally realized this, it was a turning point in my life. Turning point. And it's actually what brought me to my salvation because for so long in my life, and some of you are like this today, and I continue to pray that you would finally realize what God has for you in Jesus because for so long in my life, and even to this day, deep, deep struggles in my heart and constant frustration that I couldn't change. And man, I'm a hard worker. I'm a hard worker. I'm a hard trier. I'm an achiever. I'm a go-getter. I'm a goal setter, right? A lot of us are like that. But the reality is the harder you try without the Lord, the more frustrating it gets and the more you realize that you are a great, great big failure. And though you might be put together on the outside, on the inside, you know you're dying and your heart has not been changed. It's corrupt to its core. And when you finally get to a place where you recognize and you finally confess, I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord, but I believe that you can. And you, you totally surrender yourself to the Lord. Then, oh, then is the starting point to an amazing communion with God. Would you agree? Knowing his grace and presence more and more and knowing his power to work within us to do and to will his good pleasure. It's just the best. Now, I say all that to say, that's the starting point, but I say this to say, okay, and now Barrett, come on. You about to talk about Christian disciplines. When, I hear, when you hear the word discipline, what do you hear? Work. Anybody hear that word? When I say discipline, what do you say? Tell your neighbor. When I, discipline. What's the first word that comes to mind? Tell your neighbor. Somebody just said sucks. What? <laughs> that was terrible. Um, gosh. Oh, that's not what I was thinking, but whatever. Um, you're, you, you, a lot of us just said work or, or effort or what else somebody say? Huh? Everybody's scared. Okay. The reality is, though, when, when we think of discipline, you usually think the contrary to what I just said, which is that we can't do it. Only God can do it. That's what I just said. Now you're going to go, well, you just said Christian disciplines, which means you need to work. This makes no sense. This series are already off to a terrible start. No, it's not. Um, I know what I'm talking about because God's word is clear. God's word is filled with that desire and filled with that um, instruction that only God can do it. But it's also filled with truth that in this pursuit of God and more of God in our life, godliness, that we don't just sit idle waiting on God. See, a lot of times people think, oh, well, only God can do it. That means I just, I'll just do whatever I, I want to do. And then hopefully one day, poof, God will just come in and boof, you know transfigure himself right before me. 
and just change me, you know, just in an instant. All the, you know, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach that it's a gift of grace. It's a gift that you can't do it. Only God can do it. But the Bible does tell you that you should pursue godliness. Hebrews 12, verse 14. The Bible does say, Galatians chapter 6, that you should sow unto the spirit, not to the flesh. There's work to be done. Passage I want to take you to right now is 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to try to get through this quick. But I want you to, I want to set your mind on this and get this stirring in your mind and in your heart. And I want you to contemplate it over this next week as we come back together to continue our study next Sunday. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Paul, writing to Timothy, who he had mentored and discipled, wants him to understand the path of godliness. And he says this, if you put these things in, Before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words, being trained, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, what does it say? Train yourself. What does it say? Train yourself. I'm going to keep doing this until everybody says it out loud. What does it say? Train yourself. For what? For godliness. What? For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we what? Toil and what? Strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Here, you see what I'm talking about in Scripture, maybe more plainly here than any other text. There's a desire for what? More of God in our life. I want to be more of, have more of God. I want to know His Word more. I want to be founded in who He is. I want godliness, right? That's what he's saying. I want godliness. I have my hope set on the living God. Obviously, Paul knows more than any other person, his writings are full of it in scripture, that the work of God in our hearts is just that. It's the work of God, that there's nothing that you can do. Only God can do it. And here, the heart of that comes out clear. Yet, at the same time, his instruction is what? To train ourselves the word in Greek literally is gymnos. Anybody ever heard of a gym? We get that word from this name, gymnos. It is the word for athletes, athletics, training. Anybody ever work out? Don't raise your hand. We can all tell who you are, you stinkers. Um, if you've ever been in the gym, this is the, the idea. This is, let me just say, it's spiritual sweat. That's what he's saying. Exert some spiritual sweat. Just as you go into the gym to get fit and healthy, so set your life up in the way that you go into God's spiritual gym and you work out for the goal of knowing him more and being more like him. In other words, there's something for us to do. There's a role that God would have us play. We don't just sit idly. No. 
but rather we position ourselves in a way that God could transform us. And indeed, that's the definition and idea of spiritual disciplines that I want you to have. If you're writing anything down, you don't have to, but here's the idea I really want you to understand and to contemplate this week. That at its core, what spiritual disciplines are is it's a way for us to position ourselves before God that he might transform us. Spiritual disciplines, it's the idea of a spiritual gym, right? We are going to position ourselves before God. We're going to place ourselves in the right place before the Lord that he might do what only he can do, that he might transform us. But we, listen, if you don't go into the gym, you're not just going to poof up and get muscles. I've been praying for that for a long time. Lord, would you please give me muscles? And he just hasn't poofed it up yet. I have been waiting and um, I'm still going to be waiting, I think. Until I go to the gym, it's just not going to happen. Spiritual disciplines, and, and it's not a perfect illustration because the gym implies that you do all the work, and that's it's not it. I'm going to give you a better illustration here in a second. But it's the idea that we do what God has appointed for us to do. It's the walking in the way that God has appointed for us to receive his grace. It's a channel for God's grace, for God's presence, for God's transformation. So I want to put myself, if I know that waterfall has life-giving water, I'm going to move toward that waterfall and I'm going to stand up under it. Come on, waterfall, right? I'm going to position myself in the place that allows me the maximum opportunity to receive from God what only God can give. His presence, His grace, His transforming power. Are you tracking with me? That is spiritual discipline. And that is something that God has said we need to do. That's why Paul says, rather train yourself for godliness. And he evokes the idea of physical training. He goes, this is way better than working out. If you got to choose between workout, spiritual workout and physical workout, you better every day choose to prioritize your spiritual workout. Do what you need to do so that you can know God more and be like him and every way because that has value not just for your physical life but for this life yes and what the life to come there's something that we should give ourselves to there's a work that God calls us to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 he also says I think I've got it on a slide somewhere yeah he says Paul also says I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself might be dis- disqualified. He uses the analogy again of a, of a physical workout. He goes, athletes train. If they want a prize, they work hard for it. Anybody ever try to run a marathon? Half marathon, 5K, 10 meters. Anybody ever walked, dig a car? Okay, thank you. This illustration is getting somewhere. <laughs> God bless you people. Um, I've never tried. That's why I was hoping that, that you have tried so I could use you as an example. But if you've ever tried to do something that ambitious, you train yourself for it. Anybody ever taken an MCAT or some big board exam? Okay, I'm, okay. now we're talking. You guys are, are, are academics, not athletes. I forgot about that. 
Um, I'm just kidding. All of you look great. Um, if you have a goal, you're going to work hard for it. Nobody's going to sign up for a board exam and then go take it without studying first. The reality is you need to position yourself in a way to receive all that you can to prepare for that exam. In a similar, it's not a perfect analogy, but he says in a similar sense, he says, look, spiritually, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box beating the air. I, I discipline myself. I position myself to receive the prize that I want, which is more of God in my life. And there is something that we can do to be a part of that. We can direct our action toward holiness. But ultimately, it's a gift of God's grace. The analogy that the scripture uses, and I'll close with this. Some of you are like, he's closing? I can't believe this. He's only been up there for 20 minutes. I'm about to close. (laughs) But the closing is is another 20 minutes. Um, See, gotcha. The analogy, (laughs) I just tripped myself up. The analogy is this, Mark uh, chapter 8, Jesus tells a parable about a guy who goes out to, to sow the seed. And he says, this farmer goes out, you can look it up later, Mark 8. Farmer goes out to sow seed. He plants the seed in the ground and he rises day and night, tends to it like a farmer would, but he doesn't understand how it grows. He goes, such is the case with the kingdom of God. He doesn't understand how it grows. Now, if you think about it, can a farmer actually make a seed take root in the ground, come forth, bear, get big, and bear fruit. Can a farmer actually do that? No, the farmer doesn't actually know how. It's like we heard the other night this guy talking about gravity. We know it exists, but we don't really understand it completely. We know what it does. We don't understand it. We, we know how to plant seeds, but we cannot actually make that seed grow. That's something in that seed, something in the natural process of the earth, something that God does. He makes that seed grow. Jesus says, such is the kingdom of God. Here's the, here's the point. The work that God does in our heart is a work of grace. It's the power of God. I can't, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's work is like the wind. You know when it's there. But you don't see it coming and you don't see it going, but you know when it's there and you can't control it. The work of God cannot be controlled. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot force him, right? It's a grace gift. Just as that seed can't be manipulated, controlled by that farmer. But what can the farmer do? He can provide all the right conditions for that seed to grow, can he not? He can plant that seed in the ground. He can tend to it. He can water it. He can prune it. He can encourage its growth. He can pluck the fruit. In a similar way, such is the relationship between God's work in our lives and the disciplines that God has given us that we may walk into to position ourselves in such a way that God's work might have the maximum opportunity to bear fruit in our life. You see that? There is work for us to do by meditating, by spending time in God's word, by praying, by confessing, by worshiping, all these disciplines that we'll get into. It positions us in a way like the farmer tends to that seed. You can't do that work, but you can position yourself in order that that work be done. And the gospels of Luke chapters 18 and 19 There are two characters that I think it was Foster brings out this. Uh, 
Bartimaeus, blind man. One day Jesus is passing through the crowds and there's great crowds following Jesus and this blind man, Bartimaeus, hears that the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who is promised to be the giver of life and the healer of diseases and the one who would make all things right that would restore the perfect rule of God, he hears that he's passing by. And he does everything. He moves against people's will. He moves in such a position in order to to see, well, he couldn't see, but to get a hold of Jesus, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me, Son of David. And what we see is that this one man's voice somehow pierced through all the crowd's clatter, took Jesus' ear, and Jesus stopped to find out who this man was, Bartimaeus. When he stopped, he encountered Bartimaeus, asked him what he wanted. He told him, and he was healed, and he was forgiven. The next chapter, chapter 19, we see a man named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. Okay, some of you went to Sunday school, some of you didn't. Um, Zacchaeus was a small guy, it says in the scripture. And the crowds were coming through his neighborhood, and because of his height, much like Michelle, when she's in a crowd, she can't see really anything other than smell people's armpits next to her. He couldn't see Jesus, so what did he do? He went and climbed up in a tree. He did everything he could to position himself in order that he might see Jesus. Just to get a glimpse of him. Well, Jesus passes through and lo and behold, who does he notice? Who catches his eye? Oh, it's Zacchaeus, that wee little man who climbed up in the tree. He calls out to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus experiences the Lord. And God's transforming power in his life that day that he hadn't expected. What is God showing us through these encounters with Bartimaeus, with Zacchaeus? They're singled out among all the crowds to have a special encounter with Jesus. I believe God is showing us that when we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. When we position ourselves in our lives like Bartimaeus, like Zacchaeus, yes, he couldn't force Jesus to stop that day. But listen, all they wanted was to get near Jesus and to experience his transforming power in their life. And they positioned their life in such a way, they trained themselves, they exercised what they could to place themselves in such a position that they might have the maximum opportunity to meet Jesus. And Jesus saw them. He saw their heart. He saw their position. And he stopped, met them, filled them, changed them. And in the same way, friends, if we would just learn to position ourselves to be receivers of God's awesome grace, I believe that God would meet us and he would change us far more than we could ever ask or imagine. The greatest need in our day is for changed people, for deep people, people who walk with the Lord and have truly, truly walk with him and experience him. And I found in life that people will pursue all kinds of things. People will pursue jobs. People will pursue academic learning. People will pursue boys and girls. People will pursue money. People will pursue families and vacations. People spend all kinds of time looking up on Google how to do this or that, studying how to be this or that, or how to achieve this or that. And usually those people get what they're after. It's amazing to me that in our world today, where are the people? Where are they? that want more than anything to know more of God and to experience his presence and power and grace working out in their life. If you really want that, then guess what? You can set yourself up to pursue that. Explore him, know him, experience him, but it takes you being willing to do the work to position yourself that you might receive 
from his awesome presence and grace. Is that your hunger today? And are you willing today to say, yes, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll get up in the tops of a tree. I'll call out even if people around me think I'm crazy because all I want, Lord, is to know you more and to be more like you. That's my greatest desire. And so, Lord, I want to start going to the spiritual gym. I want to be like the farmer who does everything I can, everything I can to see that that seed grows. Though I can't control it, I want to position myself in a way. I want to cultivate that. I want to tend to it. I want to make sure that that happens in my life. Is that your desire today? You want to go deeper. Most people spiritually are a mile wide and an inch deep. But God is wanting to raise up our church, I believe, to be people who know him and enjoy him. And it's the greatest joy of our life. Spiritual disciplines, rhythms, begin to live this way not the mechanics can't change you but God can when you begin to live this way with a heart directed toward God I believe you can expect that he will meet you much like Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus he will fill you he will change you let me pray Lord we thank you for this day thank you for the sweet time of worship and time on your word and Lord I just pray that you would speak to us right now Lord, in the ways that you've appointed, Lord, wherever our hearts are, you know them right now. And you are calling us, each of us, deeper into relationship with you. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit and your word, Lord, that we would be like deer panting for streams of water. Lord, that we would be longing to know you more. Lord, help us to repent of all the things that we give ourselves to in life other than you. Help us, Lord, to make our primary ambition knowing you more. And help us to realize that just as we give effort to anything, Lord, we are called to pursue you. We are called to pursue godliness. And, Lord, we need to train ourselves, to position ourselves, to discipline ourselves in ways to maximize the opportunity to meet you, to know you, to walk with you, and enjoy you. So, Lord, I just pray that all of us would have a yes on our lips right now. A yes to you. A cry for you. And a desire to pursue you in greater ways. We thank you in Jesus' name.